This video is part of an audiobook series featuring The Spirit of Leadership, Liberating the Leader in Each of Us by Harrison Owen in 1999. For more audiobooks, please visit my YouTube channel, find me on Spotify, or visit my website for downloads. Chapter 6 Spirit and Leadership For many in the West, spirit is nothing. Operating under the premise that if you can't count it, it doesn't exist, the conclusion is that spirit is not there, or if it is there, it can't amount to much. At the level of proof, there is little if anything that can be done to alter this position, for having started with the premise of countability, the conclusion is inescapable. Yet despite the obvious inescapability of the logic, there appears to be a growing sense that this logic need not be the only one used. Perhaps it is only the uneasiness of the times, but conversations about spirit now seem to appear in some of the strangest places. As long ago as 1987, for example, a major corporation took out a full-page ad to proclaim that a central corporate goal is to, quote, sustain the spirit, end quote. Perhaps they didn't mean it, but it is interesting that they felt free enough to say something like that. And of course, there has been a recent outbreak of spirituality in business, a phenomenon that leaves me a little uncomfortable. It tends to be off-putting to many, but most worrisome, I think, is that it may trivialize the subject. In present discourse, spirituality often shows up as an add-on. We have business to which we may add a spiritual dimension. For me, there is no question of adding on. Everything begins with spirit, which shows up, for better or for worse, as the business we do. Spirituality does have a place, but not as a special department in the organization, the Department of Spirituality, managed, of course, by the Director of Spirituality. Spirituality is what we all do 24 hours a day as we acknowledge our existence as spirit and learn to live with that reality. Of course, there have always been words about spirit in common conversation, as in team spirit, esprit de corps, and the like. But now, somehow, the concept of spirit seems rather more important. A senior executive in the midst of a very nasty takeover battle was overheard to say, quote, It is remarkable that when everything else is falling apart, we still have our spirit. If we lose that, I think we have lost everything, end quote. And I believe that he was right. When spirit disappears, there is not much left. I take it as a given that spirit is the most critical element of any organization. With spirit of the appropriate quantity, quality, and direction, almost anything is possible. Without spirit, the simplest task becomes a monumental obstacle. Furthermore, it is in the domain of spirit that leadership operates. Though it may be true that leaders have a multitude of very practical tasks, they have one task that outweighs all others, to care for spirit. Linking leadership and spirit presents few problems at the level of casual conversation. Even the popular press has good words to say about inspiring leadership, and inspiration, after all, means to fill with spirit. Quarterbacks inspire their team, generals inspire their troops, and presidents are supposed to inspire their companies and countries. That leadership, inspiration, and spirit all go together seems like a no-news item. The problem is not making the connection, but rather what to do after that. And here again it appears that the possibility of making a useful novel statement is limited. 
university libraries and executive bookshelves are filled to overflowing with innumerable tomes on the subject, ranging from deep studies to shallow nostrums detailing the seven easy steps to inspired leadership. Yet something is missing, either in the literature, in its reception, or both. I think that what is missing is a profound sense of the depth of the matter. Leadership is often spoken of as if it were simply advanced management. The presumption is that whatever the manager is supposed to do, the leader does more of and better. However, the leader is not advanced management. In fact, it is radically different from management, and to equate or confuse the two is to miss an essential distinction. And that distinction, if observed, can take us to the heart of the matter. Before going further, I need to make it exquisitely clear that I am not juxtaposing managers and leaders. Rather, I am concerned with functions or roles. The truth of the matter is that we all lead and we all manage. In general, we are quite clear about what managers are supposed to do. They control the system, whatever that system might be. The operative word is control. A good manager makes the plan, manages to the plan, and meets the plan. The details are taken care of, the aberrancies are controlled, and the problems are solved. It has almost become popular to denigrate managers as if they were somehow a lesser breed and not at all that useful. Nothing could be further from the truth. For as long as we have had systems that are basically workable in the extant environment, we need managers, very good managers. In the post-World War II years, the manager reigned supreme. Everyone wanted to be a manager, and management, quite rightly, was understood to reside at the top of the heap. Under relatively stable conditions, or conditions in which things change in a linearly predictable fashion, the role of management is primary. But when the balance swings to non-stability and change occurs in radical, discontinuous jumps, the skills of management don't work quite as well as they used to. The tasks of man management and leadership, I believe, separate are separate and distinct. To manage is to control. To lead is to liberate. To manage is to work at the level of the system. To lead is to work in the depths beneath the system in the primal areas where the dragon lives. Leadership is liberation, being out of control and loving it. In the everyday world, we take it as a given that when we lose control, we are crazy. And indeed, there is no small amount of experimental evidence that people with little or no perceived control over their lives are driven crazy. Craziness, in the domain of the spirit, is the perception that we are in control. The reality is that spirit moves as it wants, changing form, shape, intensity, and direction with the speed of a whim and the passage of a mood. Just when you think you've got it, like a wisp of smoke, it passes through your hands to appear in another place, or disappears altogether. Talk like this may seem imprecise, as indeed it is, but the experience alluded to is familiar to everyone. The coach of an outstanding team knows all too well that having the best players, game plan, and coaching staff does not automatically secure the championship. Quote, some days the guys are hot, and some days they're not. End quote. Corporate executives know that although state-of-the-art plant and facilities, matched with skilled workers and managers, are strong cards to hold, the competitive edge is not guaranteed. At the other extreme of those instances, are those instances where a few of the accoutrements of success are in hand, and yet miraculously, or at least it appears to be a miracle, good things happen. 
In the nick of time, despite all odds or at the last moment, the deal is closed, the game is won, and the company is saved. In retrospect, it is always nice to feel that everything was part of the plan. But those who were there, and particularly those who assumed the role of leadership, know differently. If it was a plan, it was surely a different type of plan, for things turned out as nobody had any right or reason to expect. In private moments of honesty, it is often reported that things began to work precisely when all attempts at making them work were given up. Being in control, paradoxically, meant being out of control and going with it. But being out of control does not mean being without principle. The Four Immutable Principles of Spirit Spirit plays by its own principles, which from the viewpoint of standard management practice are not only strained, but also aggravating in the extreme. I am not sure, of course, that these principles are immutable, but they always seem to apply, and they are as follows. 1. Whoever comes is the right people. 2. Whatever happens is the only thing that could have happened. 3. Whenever it starts is the right time. And 4. When it's over, it's over. The four immutable principles occurred to me originally as a rather facetious way to describe the operative conditions in meetings and conferences, and particularly in that special sort of conference now known as open space. I then discovered that these principles were no joke, and further, that violating them inevitably produced disastrous results. I admit that it seems as though the principles suggest a total, just let it happen approach, prescriptive of failure. To be sure, one must make one's best effort to get ready. Details of time and space must be attended to. But when all that is done, or done as well as can be expected, then the only thing to do is to follow the principles. Like it or not, whoever comes is not only the right people, they are the only ones there. And whatever happens is going to happen without them, or with them, or not at all. Recognizing these principles saves untold amounts of anxiety and might-have-beens, which can become so overpowering that the real present opportunities are overlooked. The four immutable principles work, I believe, in meetings and conferences because they are descriptive of the way that spirit works. First principle, whoever comes is the right people. This principle remind us, reminds us that spirit cannot be forced. In situations in which word has come down from on high that a certain position or initiative is an organizational must, that requires spirited participation, there is absolutely no way in the world to ensure that all members of the organization will buy in. Seeking such a result not only guarantees failure, but it is also this total perversion of what spirit is all about. Spirit forced is spirit killed. The fact that some people do not feel inclined to join is not an indication of failure, unless it is defined as such. If, however, the would-be leader observes the first principle, there is a high likelihood that not only will spirit rise, but it will also be indefinite or infinitely deeper and richer than could ever have been imagined. All who choose to participate will do so from and for their passion. Such passion provides the essential powerful source of innovation and performance. Second principle, whatever happens is the only thing that could have happened. This principle reminds us that leadership is not control. Control is management. Leadership is, rather, the creation of a nurturant open space in which genuine human fulfillment may be achieved. The problem is that would-be leaders, for their own reasons of insecurity, 
often feel that they must manage. After all, things could get out of control. The truth of the matter is, not only can things get out of control, but it is virtually guaranteed if spirit is really up and powerful. This is a difficult point for one who leads. There is an understandable feeling that, having accepted the responsibility of leadership, the leader must also specify exactly how everything will turn out. The understandability of this feeling does not change its negative impact. As all parents come to appreciate, although giving birth to a child creates some proprietary interests, it is not licensed to specify outcome. To forget this is to invite rebellion or withdrawal, and the same is true with spirit. Third principle, whenever it starts is the right time. In a curious and important way, spirit exists outside of time. Indeed, spirit creates time. For Westerners driven by the clock, this is difficult to deal with, but the rest of the world understands that truly important events always make their own time. Actually, we in the West understand this too. We say, without thinking about it, that the current year is AD 1998. We tend to overlook that this dating method has meaning only in the context of a particular manifestation of spirit, the birth of Jesus of Nazareth, which occurred about 1998 years ago. No matter what we as individuals may think about that particular person, there is no question that even the Western time system is spirit-based. Of course, if spirit manifested in a different person or place, a different dating system is used. Thus, the Jews are a millennium ahead, or, or so ahead, of the Christians, and for the Hindus, the birth of Vishnu some 4,000 years ago is central. When spirit appears, it doesn't happen according to a calendar. Whatever it whenever it happens is not only the right time, but it's also its own time. Needless to say, senior executives hoping to raise the spirit of a place find this principle annoying, but that doesn't change its power. The emergence of spirit will inevitably frustrate the keepers of the corporate calendar. Fourth principle, when it's over, it's over. The manifestation of spirit as all things appearing in time and space has a lifespan, and when it's over, it's over. Certainly, spirit may be renewed, but there comes a time when a particular form simply runs out of steam. The central task of leadership is to liberate and focus spirit, guided by the four immutable principles. In practice, however, there are some more specific functions of leadership, which we will examine here and in each of the following chapters. The five functions of leadership are 1. To evoke spirit with vision. 2 to grow spirit with collective storytelling. Three, to sustain spirit with structure. Four, to comfort spirit at the end. And five, to raise spirit, thereby enabling the conditions of renewal. Thank you for watching. Please like, subscribe, and visit my channel for more exciting content.